Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to my series exploring the disturbing case of Dale Klutzy the Clown Rancourt. In my prior episode, my pal Aaron and I scratched the surface of this case by discussing clowns in general, sharing our memories of Klutzy the Clown, and of course, reviewing the agreed statements of facts that accompanied his plea of guilty relating to charges of sex crimes against a child. Tonight, we're going to again explore this story, but from a unique point of view. As you heard in my prior episode, while researching Dale Rancourt's life and crimes, I came across a documentary that was filmed about him. It was shot in 2011, several years before his addition to Canada's sex offender registry. The film, which sets out to understand the then well-known children's entertainer, is called Big Shoes and was made by two Halifax-based journalism students, Michael Freeman and Adrian Lee. Although it received some acclaim at the time of its initial release, Big Shoes really doesn't age well, and that's not because of any of the creative or technical decisions made by its filmmakers. See, this film celebrates a now-disgraced children's entertainer and leaves out the topic that dominates any discussion about Dale Klutzy the Clown Rancourt, and that's of course the sexual offenses he committed against a child in the years after the film was released. After watching this film, I was very interested in hearing how the filmmakers have dealt with such a spoiled creation, and I of course invited them to share their thoughts and their memories here with you. And that's what we're about to get into. So let's get to it. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, we'll be joined by Michael Freeman and Adrian Lee, and our topic is the disturbing story of Dale Klutzy the Clown Rancourt, but more specifically, their documentary that really doesn't age well. If I could do anything at the end of my life, I would love everybody to love me, but I don't think it's going to happen. But if the majority at least uh, say, yeah, he was all right, I did my job. Adrian and Michael, this is the first time I had um, clown documentarians on the show. Is that how you classify yourself still to this day? You're That's what clown documentarians? I was going to say it's on my LinkedIn bio. Uh, let's start with you, Michael. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, present day? Because I know you as a clown documentarian, but this is a documentary you made 10 years ago. That's right. Yeah, it's the 10-year uh, anniversary, coincidentally. So so thanks for that. Uh, my name is Michael Freeman. I am the executive director of the Canadian Jewish News Podcast Network. Uh, I've, I've worked at the Canadian Jewish News for a few years now. Um, before that, I've worked at various journalism publications. I still do a bit of freelance writing. Um, I did some travel writing for a while, but uh, but yeah, so it's it's been a very meandering kind of journalistic career after that clown documentary, which is I don't know yeah. maybe maybe normal <laughs> for journalists in Canada a little bit. I don't know if the clown documentary is the regular jump off point into journalism, but I guess it's working for you at least. And you, you uh, I think you made the documentary after graduating from King's. Are you from like Nova Scotia or the East Coast originally? No, uh, I and. Uh, and my friend Adrian here uh, are both from Toronto, the Toronto area. Um, 
we both went to University of King's College. We didn't know each other. I'm jumping ahead here before I'm changing just even introduce myself, but uh, we we met each other at the University of King's College. We were both in the journalism program in the same year. Cool. Uh, and we became fast friends. Yeah, all right. And so uh, that'll uh, be a great segue to you, Adrian. Why don't you tell us a bit about the, your, what have you been up to in the 10 years since being a clown documentarian? Yeah, uh, well, I've continued to do just exclusively clown documentaries. That's what I'm doing now, trying to... <laughs> No. Um, uh, you know, like Freeman said, the, the, the life of a journalist after university is meandering. But these days I am an editor in the opinion section at the Globe and Mail um, and uh, not doing any documentary work. Uh, sometimes I host podcasts, including the Globe and Mail's feature uh, of Cities podcast called City Space. Um, but haven't, haven't delved back into the clown world since... Uh, uh, just after Freeman and I graduated from King's. So the the documentary Big Shoes about Klutzy the Clown or Dale Rancourt, how did how did this come about? Like when I watched it, I was kind of thinking maybe this is like a something they did at like, you know, last year in King's for Journalism School or something they did a documentary. Is that what happened? That's how it started. That's not what it was. Um, Adrian and I were in the same, uh, there's a fourth year course TV documentary or, or documentary video documentary, I think. Um, and uh, the course is basically like you, you make a, a short documentary um, uh, start to finish. And so I, Adrian might remember how we heard about the, count, the clown in Cape Breton who won the lottery, but like that was the original, like that was the original pitch line, right? Like there's a, some clown in Cape Breton who won the lottery uh, and that, and he's like, well-known. And we were like, that's just interesting. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so we wanted to do that. We pitched it to our teacher. I was going through the emails before uh, this call and uh, I saw the correspondence. And uh, apparently uh, at some point our teacher decided she didn't want anybody doing anything outside of Halifax. So she didn't want us going up to Cape Breton, spending the weekend there, which is what we wanted to do. Um, so we did a different documentary about cheerleading in Halifax. Uh, and it was pretty good, but uh, we still liked the clown who won the lottery thing. And I think I had called Dale already on the phone. We had spoken, we corresponded a little bit. When I called him and said we were interested in maybe doing a documentary, he was like immediately enthusiastic. Oh, absolutely. Come up, spend the weekend. We can figure it out. It'll be great. You know, he's really, really eager. And as a documentary uh, filmmaker or any a journalist of any sort, what you really, really want is to find like engaged characters who are willing to, to like who give you access mm -hmm. right it's all about access um and so dale rancourt was like it closely whatever just felt like like he was perfect right charismatic interesting interesting circumstance interesting story and uh perfectly willing to like just be on camera the whole time oh yeah um I'm thinking just yeah. from what I know about him, I'm thinking like the idea of him, like of him being the star of a documentary must have just been like, he must have been wild with the prospect of that. I'm, I can only imagine. Yeah, I, I, I remember when uh, we were trying to figure out the logistics, we we're like, okay, well, where, where could we stay? We may get a hotel. He said, you're going to stay with me. Absolutely. Just, just come out. I got so much spare space, you know, spare bedroom, all sorts of, don't worry about it. You know, he was like really accommodating, really eager. Um, uh, anyway, we didn't end up doing it for the class, we, but we still liked the idea. So we ended up, uh, we both stayed in Halifax after graduating. 
in the summer. And we just went up in uh, June or July or something and cut it together by August. I think we had a screening in August or September or something like that. Yeah, I should just say credit where it's due uh, that our, our teacher for the documentary class was award-winning documentarian Sylvia Hamilton. And looking back at her email to us, it wasn't just that it was, oh, you know, for this particular class, you should stay within the realm of Halifax. It was more, you know, going to Cape Breton is going to be a whole thing. You know, this is, you're getting into something where you don't necessarily know what you're getting into. So maybe we actually, we, we had actually pitched in the thing that there was another clown, uh, a clown who worked at the Department of National Defense that uh, Dale was friends with. And she said, oh, well, maybe you focus on that clown. And uh, if we had, we would not be here. And that <laughs> wouldn't be the worst. Um, <laughs> So uh, yeah, the the way we actually did find out about the story is very much as Freeman said. The 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 sentence, um, uh, uh, a clown won the lottery in Cape Breton, um, and from what I remember, you know, Freeman pitched it to me. Uh, he had heard it from a friend of ours uh, named uh, Cliff, uh, who lived in Cape Breton. Okay, and so so you and that's like it was it was you know classic sort of thing that you overhear. And you think, oh, like that is a very compelling thing to hear about. And I would like to know more. Well, that one sentence is a compelling story. Like a clown who won the lottery. You're like, yeah, let's get the cameras and go see what that's about. Because that, that sounds fascinating. Uh, he turns out to be a much more complicated character than that. But I, I can see the the appeal of, of, you know, just based on, on that. So as far as like gearing up to do the documentary was this a kind of thing where you needed to get money together or were you planning to just you know take what equipment you had and go down there like how did the how did you get from the idea to actually you know getting in a vehicle driving down to Cape Breton to film well I mean I think again this this speaks to the naivete like this is not something that we would do now as as more established journalists as more professional journalists that we were we were basically a year away from being student journalists mm -hmm. um but you know we did, not, year. We did not it was what? it was two months <laughs> yeah exactly yeah a year would is generous but you know and so uh, to some degree there is some embarrassment on this talking about it but we we didn't get grant money or anything we decided we would pay out of pocket uh but also we would stay with dale and we would uh accept a drive back from Dale to Halifax, uh, taking the bus to Sydney to meet him. Uh, so as far as as far as upfront cost goes, pretty good. Uh, no, but as far wait, as we, sort of like we my FX currently, don't feel great about it. Yeah, I don't remember driving back with him. You Just, really? Are you kidding? You don't remember driving back with him? No, in I, his Ghostbusters car. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember this at all. We did that, eh? Because I, I have footage from the train going up. So it's, I know we took the train for some period of time. I've we definitely didn't take the train. It. We took a bus because was there like, is no oh, train to Sydney. I do there, was train, yeah, right. there was train tracks I filmed in the intro. Wow. Yes, because can't stress enough how naive we were. We were like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I, I, I guarantee, I promise you I did not invent this. <laughs> we, we got a ride home from him because he insisted in a car uh, that was themed to the ghost. I know the car you're talking about. The fact that you can't remember this yeah. is unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I fell okay, asleep so... in the back of the car because I did not want to sort of have <laughs> any sort of too much thinking around what was happening. And you sat in the front seat and talked to him the whole drip, the whole drive back to hell. Well, 
I, I mean, I'm, I, I do not have a great memory. Uh, so I don't, I'm not surprised <laughs> I forgot that, but, uh, great. It sounds like it was a fun time. <laughs> so, and what was the plan? Like when you, when you're going down there, like it, I'm assuming you understand you're going to be meeting with kind of an interesting person and some, you're going to catch some cool footage, but like, what was your vision? What did you hope to achieve with this, uh, you know, with this film about a clown who won the lottery? I don't think we had a vision. And I don't think that's selling a short. I, I, I think it was deliberately open, like, um, you know, maybe to, to our credit and detriment. We didn't go in with an agenda. We went in just kind of searching for interesting stories uh, around this, this local guy. Um, and we found them, right? I mean, it's, you, I, it, I always felt the documentary was a little too long and a little too slow. But I mean, if nothing else, it does show the lives of, the, of some like very real people, mm-hmm. specifically Dale, who's like, appears very authentic at some points anyway mm-hmm. um and the people he's with like the side characters the people he's helped um yeah so i think we just kind of went in just kind of we, we said this a little bit before we started recording but like we were pretty naive like we just went in looking for something we we were pretty eager we didn't you know we weren't making money off it it was a pure passion project and and we just uh found what stories we could. Yeah. And we did, we did pre-interview him both Freeman initially at the, at the university level pitch, but also uh, before we went just to get a sense of what we would expect to do on this particular, you know, uh, weekend or long weekend, the sort of events he had scheduled, but also sort of sus, trying to suss out, you know, really, I mean, frankly, details around this lottery, you know, it, it was a bit confusing to us what that lottery was. Uh, and then, you know, further to that, more about what it is that compels a man to win uh, a, a good chunk of change and decide to keep doing clowning. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sort of like, we just followed that trail uh, to wherever it led. And I think it led to where we were in the, to what we got in the movie. And like, when I watch the, the documentary, a lot of it just seems to be him going about his day and you in, in, like in the backseat of his car or something, you're, you're going to the grocery store as he's walking around in character singing and, you know, just the little like day in the life of kind of th- stuff that happens was was that set up by by you or were, was he like, I'm going to take you guys, show you how I deal with the grocery store. It was it, he we arranged a time we were talking back and forth just to figure out what weekend would be good. And he said, come up this weekend. I got a lot of stuff that you can tag along for. Um, he did a grad party that night and we did go and shoot. What was that? Safe prom. Safe grad, yeah. Safe prom. Safe okay. grad. Yeah. Safe grad. That's, that's what it was. Um, classic. A classic Nova Scotia oh, experience. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we did go and shoot that. There's no footage that was usable because it was so dark and we didn't have a lighting rig because wow. we didn't spend any money on tech. Um, but we did go to that. Uh, and I think that was like one of the bigger events that he was doing. I think he also had maybe like a birthday lined up or something else lined up, you know. Um, so he he wanted us to come on a weekend that he would be busy, so we would have a lot of good footage. Mm-hmm. Like he was thinking to his again to his credit, like he's pretty good at, at marketing, uh, as you probably know because everybody in, in Cape Breton knows him. Um, but uh, you know, he 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 was thinking from a visual perspective, mm-hmm. like a do- like a documentary filmmaker would. What's going to make the tape? Something that I remember him saying a lot, and maybe. Um... Michael can back me up on this, but, and, and again, I guess it should be said with everything we're saying here, that hindsight is twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't want to be like, oh, you know, he, he said something that really made me think twice at the time. You know, I, I was naive. I don't, I don't think I, I can honestly say I did that. 
Um, but one thing he was, he did say a lot was, uh, oh, you know, these guys are making a movie about me. And I thought that that was very interesting. Like, I, I, you know, thinking back to that, I found that interesting because it did feel like, um, you know, we were very clear with our objectives, which was this is going to be a documentary. We're not just making this, you know, hagiography of, of Dale Rancourt. Mm -hmm. But to some degree, it felt, you know, it, certainly in the way that he acted, thinking back on it now, it, he was, uh, you know, I don't think he was playing it up for the camera. I don't think he was, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that there was this degree where he thought that someone was making a film about him, which to me is a distinction with a difference from what a documentary is, right? A documentary being something we're going out, we're figuring, we're seeing what stories appear to us, whether they're good or bad. We just want to know this person. Mm -hmm. um, and, and sort of thinking back on that now being, hmm, I wonder if that's, that's kind of unusual. The, as you're going through these different sites that we see in the documentary, we see the grocery store really stood out to me. There was one scene where he's in a gorilla costume, like singing happy birthday to someone, basically quite a few scenes of him just stopping the car and just talking to people walking by and, you know, talking to their kids and stuff. As you were like a fly on the wall, watching him go about his like business or whatever we want to call it. Like, what, how were you feeling through that? Like, were you surprised by the way he reacted to the people? Were you surprised by the reactions he would get from people? Like, how did you take his interactions with the people and the way he carried himself? I remember being surprised whenever he would stop the car, get out and make a balloon animal for a child spontaneously. Hi, audience. Busy as ever. Busy? Yeah. Would you guys like a balloon? I'm going to pull over and make you a balloon animal, okay? And I remember being surprised, uh, despite my bad memory, because I have a very vivid memory of trying to get my camera ready to shoot this scene without any warning. Uh, like trying to, you know, adjust the, the exposure lighting and whatever. Um, and that's why there's like some very poor shots of, of this <laughs> in the documentary. Like, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and they, and they was like two minutes. Like I didn't even have time to set up to just pull over, do it. Like he, you know, which is maybe to his credit of like not doing stuff for the camera. Like he would just kind of do stuff, whether or not we were ready and then move on. Um, so that definitely took me by surprise. I definitely mm -hmm. did not understand the, the co-op market, uh, like what we were doing there. Uh, I remember being confused, like, the, he's like, yeah, we're going to the grocery store. I'm like, okay. And then we went and he just like sets up a bouncy castle outside and walks through the aisles playing guitar, singing, you are my sunshine, just like to strangers being like, ah, oh, the, you know, don't these apples look good? Lo and behold, the co-op grocery store. Oh, look at the corn on the cob. Did you ever grow corn on the cob? Bet you it's hard to grow corn on the cob, isn't it? It's easier to get it when it's in that wooden bin. You missing something, honey, I can help you with? No? That's good, then. Whew. They say the whole world's a stage. <laughs> Hello, ladies. You are my sunshine. What's my favorite song? My only sunshine. My grandson and I sing that every day going to school. I remember thinking, like, I remember feeling very self-conscious following this guy with a camera. I think like, what the hell do people think about this? And like some people give us that look in the documentary, but other people are like just very warm about it. And so I don't know. I remember that being very surreal uh, and, and I didn't quite grasp what was going on there. And I, and I want to echo that in the sense that I think that, you know, we, 
Freeman and I, we are city people, right? I think we were from Halifax. We came from Toronto before and to some degree were a little bit, even at that point, somewhat cynical and somewhat ironic about uh, uh, our lens on this thing. You know, again, it's a, it's a clown who won the lottery. To some degree, we're going to go there and be like, what's the deal with this? Um, but it is true that what struck us was this this sense that while there was some of that, it wasn't the majority response. You know, if I think if the equivalent thing happened, uh, uh, if, if, if we ran into the equivalent thing today on, on the streets of Toronto, we'd be like, well, this is weird, you know? Like, this is a weird thing, and this is the unusual thing. But it felt kind of usual uh, in a way that was, that was the surprising hmm. facet. Well, I'll tell you, as, as a pretty much lifelong resident, Cape Breton's a strange place. You can, get, you can get away with some weird stuff there, but Klutzy, um, that character, or Dale, or he had several different characters that he, he did, but it's that, like, what we see in the co-op in the grocery store in your documentary where he's just walking around doing his thing. He has no arrangement with the business as far as we tell. He just kind of sets up and does his thing. That was very common for him. I remember multiple times I would just be at the mall and he would approach me or people I was with or just people that we would oversee and he would just approach them in character offering them balloons and asking them if they wanted to take a picture of him and stuff it was like he was always on and I always thought like is this his way of marketing like is it kind of like a sales pitch and is he going to end with like you know if you're having a birthday party call me but that never really seemed to be the case although like he was good at marketing as far as getting his name and his character out there yeah. but well, i could just n never understand his true intention and well what did all. you like what did you and your friends think of him i mean this I is was, a question we asked i was constantly. just gonna i was just gonna ask yeah. him that adrian yeah like, well, we, i was gonna flip this around and turn to him well, <laughs> well like that's what the question that we tried to ask and i think what one one thing that really struck me was that like when we were at safe grad because to me it's like oh there's no one more embittered and cynical than you know people who are in high school who obviously are going to be like hey this clown is is something that's like weird and and we're gonna make yeah. fun of them didn't get any of that there though really either to be well, i'm surprised i i would think like if if when i was in high school if he showed up uh at our safe grad we would um we would not be like delighted to see him i think overall the people that i ran with uh looked at him as creepy strange i don't like clowns anyway but he was just um kind of off-putting carried himself in a strange way um i don't know how i would how i would describe it but anytime i ran into him or had any interaction i was just waiting for it to end <laughs> we didn't see a lot of him being seen as an outsider um yeah well, he's, he, he has that vibe of, um, especially at the time that you were filming, he was very much like everybody knew him. So he was kind of like a, like a local celebrity in, in a lot of ways. Like he was a known character. Everybody knew him to that. Like even I, I put up a post leading up to our talk asking for people from Cape Breton who had a unique interaction with him to contact me um, if they wanted to talk about it. And it was like, I've, in the last day, I probably got a hundred emails, which is much more than normal. But that's just because people are so attached to him and his story, especially now looking. Were they like positive him. interactions, or are they all saying like I've had this weird thing that they? That it's been. It's of. certainly a mixed bag. A couple people um, worked for him and had great experiences, but a lot of people um, he like just rubbed the wrong way in terms of the way he would interact with them. I guess bad bad analogy to use. Thank you.
So you, you complete the documentary over this couple days. Um, what about the release? Like, I, I, I found some news clippings where you, you did kind of like a public screening of it in Halifax, uh, at least one. What was, talk about releasing and what the reaction was to this film following around a strange clown, clown in Cape Breton. I think Adrian has to talk about that. I, I Was I in Korea by the time it screened? No, I was, I was like, I, oh, we did do something at the bus stop. Yeah, we, yeah, we yes. did do something at the bus stop theater. I do remember yeah. that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was. It basically was a screening. It basically was for almost entirely our friends. There were some strangers. We did promote it while widely, uh, as far as Halifax goes. You know, we had. If I, in my memory, it was like a fullish house, but it also was a small house, so it wasn't that many people. Um, Dale did come, uh, and I don't. I I don't remember if it was the first time he had seen it. I don't think it was. Um, but he did drive in and he did drive in his, uh, a themed car. Don't know if it was the Ghostbusters car, but it was a themed car. And, uh, my takeaway from that was from that night was that, uh, people did seem to be impressed by his story. Um, what, in the future, did you have any plans? Like, like after you released it, did you have any plans for what would happen with this documentary in the future? Like, did you ever see it? doing anything or, were you, or was your plan to just put it on the internet and see what did happens we, did we submit it to the atlantic film festival raymond are you the oldest man why don't you remember any of these details <laughs> Jesus. adrian if you if you think this is bad honestly you should talk to my wife she gets frustrated i forget things that happened three you know three hours is, ago and she asked me this is incredibly grim and you should go to a doctor <laughs> uh we we uh did we we had high hopes actually for having it entered in the atlantic film festival and we did submit it uh, and we were rejected. <laughs> uh, I, I remember this especially because we had to, for the Atlantic Film Festival, which we had this sort of idea was like somewhat, you know, was like uh, they were going to take this because this is local and interesting. But they, they, you know, they made us apply for IMDb page. We had to have an IMDb page. And that's, I remember that because it's like, well, I don't think that... I don't think we're going to need these, but all right, let's put this in there. So I think somewhere there is an IMDb page where we have as listed our one credit. <laughs> wow. Shoot. Um, well, let's get to the more complicated part of this. So you put the film together, uh, you screen it, he shows up, sounds like a great time. It doesn't make it to the film festival. I'm assuming you get caught up in other projects and begin to move on with your life. But uh, the story finds its way back to you when he's arrested do you um in in charge with sex related charges do you recall learning about this and if so how did you find out that this had happened again i gotta defer to adrian on this one because i remember he said well he sent me the i remember that you sent me the article i remember you you heard about it i did oh okay yeah. that's good i i don't do you have this on facebook this is good we have all this probably here's here's what i remember um and like on this, my memory is kind of fuzzy, but I have a very clear memory of um, being at the time I was I was going through some sort of anxiety stuff and I was in the hospital or I, I was I was in a hospital waiting room and I remember seeing a TV, uh, which was always blaring, you know, CP24, which is our sort of like local news, but also just like every every piece of news information you can have. And uh, I had I saw that Dale Rancourt was being interviewed. Um, on this thing, I thought, well, that's weird. You know, I'm in Toronto. Um, why are people doing this? And I, if I and and what I remember is that this was a summer in which there were 
uh, if I recall correctly, clown-related yes. swarmings or clown-related scary clowns. The, the, scary clowns. Everywhere. I think they call it the 2016 yeah. uh, scary clown attack phenomenon, where people were. Yeah, maybe it was because of it yeah. or saw or something. Uh, okay, this is actually very vindicated because I, I wasn't sure whether or not this was okay. But uh, I remember seeing him be interviewed in Toronto on this on this newscast. Um, uh, sort of like defending clowns. And I think that that makes, that makes sense. You know, in the movie, he talks about the stereotypes around clowns, how people are often very scared of them. And, and there's even a scene, know, a, we have a scene where he's like, you want to know why people are scared of clowns? He shows a picture of him, him with like these other scary looking clowns. He's like, this is why people are scared of clowns. And, these two. And there's, these there's two three creepy clowns in the photo. I noticed that during uh, the scene. I'm like, they're all creepy looking. Yeah. Yeah. He seems to see, see something that we don't. Um, Don't, sorry, right? continue, Adrian. Um, yeah, and then and 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 then I think not long after that, and I don't remember if those were things were correlated. I don't remember the time difference in between, but in my mind, I connected it that like he did that interview, and for some reason that that precipitated someone coming out uh, with charges uh, with allegations against him not long mm -hmm. after. Um, so I don't I don't remember exactly uh, how it was. I found out it may have been that someone sent me a message saying like whoa this happened but i do remember it happening quite quickly after that after seeing him in that interview years later um and being quite surprised by that um, i'll also just quickly i also just want to quickly mention we didn't just cut ties with dale after the documentary we're friends on facebook he would write uh like birthday messages on facebook all the time like hope you're having a laughing day or whatever like all sorts of like weird like on brand clown stuff <laughs> um he would send us emails so i forwarded adrian an email just just today uh, that's like one of those, it was sent in 2012. So like a year after the documentary. And it's one of those like very boomer style, like every, like size 30 font where like every line is a different color and there's like pixelated gifts in between. And it says like, you've got finish this, uh, email in one minute and send it to five people. Like one of those, like he's, he like continued correspondence and with us after the documentary. So it petered out probably by 2016 and 17, but like, he was still kind of in our orbit for a few years. Mm -hmm. um, when you learn that the the subject of a prior documentary who happens to be a clown, and a, of course there's a, like a reputation or that a lot of clowns have as being creepy and stuff, like it just makes this, brings this kind of to it to another level. But I, I'm assuming that you would have kind of thought back to your time with him um, in interactions you had with him or that he had with other people in your presence, was there anything that you look back on that you see as like, you know, that was a little weird and in perspective now knowing, you know, that these allegations were against him, maybe there was, you know, something weird about that. Like, can you think back of any times that you were uncomfortable or witnessed something I've, unusual? I've, I've thought about that and I want to say yes, but I honestly don't even think like the weirdest thing was how, open and, and honest and eager he was to have us there. Um, I think a hindsight viewing of the film reveals uh, how much he yearns validation and appreciation from others. He's very extroverted in a lot of it, right? Clearly derives his energy from other people like, you know, laughing and going along with stuff. And when people aren't, he, he's very quick to just kind of move on. Mm -hmm. um, but but it, I don't know, like that's that's just sort of like a psychological read after the fact. Um, I, I, I honestly don't get a lot of like, like, I didn't get a lot of like creepiness. Like he can seem, he can seem creepy when you're looking at it and you know that he's a sex offender now, but like at the time, 
not really. Yeah, I mean, as as Freeman said, I, I thought about this a lot, especially in the context of, you know, I went ahead and, and pursued a career in journalism after this, right? Um, and to some degree, I, I felt myself asking, like, what does this say about me as a journalist, that I literally stayed at this man's house uh, and these allegations occurred, uh, or sorry, not these allegations occurred, but these allegations happened to someone whose house I stayed at, and, and maybe there were some signs I could have seen, you know? But I... Like, I, you know, again, I think I think it would be like uh, uh, I think it would be inventing things to say that I, you know, there were things I saw then that I wish I hadn't or like there are things in, in what I saw that that mm-hmm. that speak to this. I think that would, if anything, just be like kind of making it about me as opposed yeah. to like what, what about happened. his relationship with uh, with employees? I noticed in your documentary there was one employee in particular a female employee who spoke about uh how happy she was to be working for him do you recall seeing him interact with his employees and and if so what what do you take back from that okay so i i i might be jumping ahead here but you're referring to the woman in the chicken costume right (laughs) i was job hunting and i told them you know you don't get really great work around here and he's like well i got something for you if you're interested and i was like what's that he's like do you want to get the chicken suit i'm like yes it's really hard to find work around here and our unemployment is not the best um, or our, our employment our jobs and stuff and for me um being a single mom raising kids it's like whatever i can get i'm gonna grab and dale's been there to you know what i've been the first phone call from him saying i can you do this or can you help me with this it's like Half the time, I don't even take anything from him. I'm just volunteering my time to him because I know that, yes, because I know that his business means to him, right? I mean, her, her name was Bonnie. She's a single mom. I believe she has four kids. And they did date after that. Yes. In a, in a, which, I yeah, I think that's what you know. And I was wondering, maybe you're asking and if we detected that. I don't think I detected anything, any sort of romance between them while we were filming. They weren't dating while we were filming, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worth noting, I don't know, for context, I don't know if you would have already said this in the podcast, but he had been divorced twice by the time we were there. And he talked about, you know, how his, his first relationship dissolved. He always wanted kids. He had a second uh, uh, marriage and, and wanted kids and they couldn't have kids for biological reasons. He, he wanted to, uh, they started to pursue um, foster, fostering a kid, adopting a kid. Um, but then he realized that he learned that she had bipolar disorder and, and they split up. And he, he goes into some, some pretty, you know, honest, retrospective detail about that. But when we were there, I didn't get much of a romantic inclination in real time about what we were filming. Mm-hmm. There is this one, this one woman named Bonnie, uh, who we only see for like three minutes in a movie, if that was in a chicken costume on the side of the road, just like waving at people. And she's just really grateful that Dale got her a job, like had a job for her. Um, she is, I think she's one of the best, she's one of my favorite characters in the mm-hmm. movie because because she talks about unemployment issues in, in Cape Breton. She's just, she's extremely earnest and open about, about how hard it is to find work and just kind of speaks to some of the, the economic realities of living there. And the things that, that Klutzy represented, right? I mean, later he would tell us that he did hire her as like a, a as an actual assistant. Um, right. And, and, you know, it is, it is the reality out in Cape Breton that there are the job situation. This is something we really wanted to get into is in some ways, this, this guy was an economic engine. Yes. He bought that house, but he also, uh, and like turned into a weird, he, he bought that house and turned into sort of a weird fun house, but he also bought a house. He also bought property and tried to mm, do owned, something. He owned a gym as well. 
there you, you go. Know that. But I, yeah, so I, I do remember, but uh, again, years later, just in correspondence, you know, every so often he would say, hey, what's up? Usually it was around birthday, right? It was 2014, you know, three years later or something. He'd say, happy birthday. And I'd say, oh, thanks. How are you doing these days? You know, we'd sort of briefly catch up. And he did say once that uh, he said, I'm with Bonnie from the documentary. He said, she's my life partner now. And her four kids have accepted me and her, and they're helping me build the cars and we're having a great time. And I said, like, it seemed very sweet. And because I kind of knew her, I was like, oh, that's like, that's nice. But, but there was, I didn't see anything weird about their interaction. Sorry to interrupt the episode like this, but I want to take a moment and tell you about some bonus content that's on its way to the nighttime premium feed. But first, for those of you unfamiliar, let me remind you that there is a separate and a much better nighttime podcast feed than the one you're listening to this on. What makes it better, you ask? Well, the premium feed is listener-funded, so you won't hear distracting ads like this or any of the others you had to sit through. Secondly, the episodes are often released in advance, sometimes by days. But most importantly, the premium feed includes exclusive episodes and content that you won't find here on the free feed. As an example, once part one and two of the Klutzy series are released here on the free feed, I'll be adding a part three, which will be exclusive to the premium feed, in which I'll read and discuss the many, many emails I got from people willing to share their memories and experiences with Klutzy. If you're interested in this story, you're not going to want to miss that episode. I should also mention that all annual premium feed subscribers will receive a free nighttime welcome pack that includes stickers, buttons, and magnets. So if you want to go premium, you can do it at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash nighttime podcast. It's patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. At present day, like with the documentary existing in its current state, which is very much the story of Klutzy during this very specific time, well before all this stuff had happened. Like, do you see um, any value in people seeing this documentary or like re-examining it, or do you, or do you or does it feel like it's like dead because the story has changed so much? Like, how do you view this? Yeah, I mean, I would, I, I hope that this, I mean. <laughs> I hope this podcast doesn't make people go watch this movie. I mean, the reality is we, we made hey this again. We made hey this. now. I actually think it's pretty good. I think the editing's pretty good. I think we got some nice, honest human moments. Like I said, it's too, it's too. The word honest used in this op- in this situation is a, is a tricky one for me. I don't, but look, I don't, the, I actually, I don't think so. I think he was very on. I, I think he was a very honest and open person who just, who also uh, is a sex offender. <laughs> I mean, I don't think. I, I, I think that those were earnest earnest moments, not just from him, but from other people. But sorry, I'm I'm sort of interrupting here. No, I mean I I think you should you should talk about it. I mean, I, like I, I do I want more people to watch this movie. I, I don't feel <laughs> I don't feel anything toward this film. You know, like we were we were in our early twenties, uh, using you know camera technology. Frankly, has significantly changed since then. Um, and you know, if we did it today, we would do it differently. Uh, even if we didn't know what we knew mm. now. Uh, about him yeah, but as a person. I, I think you, um, oh, sorry to interrupt you, but I, I think you, you did no, really, no, no, no. like you, you're talking there about using the word honest, but you did capture a, a very honest and accurate version of how he's seen publicly. Like a lot of the interactions and little moments you catch in the documentary 
are like my memories of Klutzy when I would encounter like Dale or that character. It was very much like what you you see in the documentary. I don't think he was putting on like any additional show for you. I think he was just doing his thing and taking you along. Um, yeah. I think also, I think what I mean, I think what I mean there though is, is less, um, you know, you asked, you asked me earlier whether or not you feel like in hindsight, is there anything that like jumped out at you is like, Oh, you know, I saw this coming. Um, and it didn't, but, but now, you know, doing, doing this exercise with you and having thought about it a couple times in the last few years, it just makes you second guess a lot of those things. Right. Again, we, you know, we did spend time in this man's house. We knew to some degree, a small degree, but to some degree, this person. And, and I think just, uh, uh, these kinds of allegations can shake some idea of what you have seen in a person. I, I, I just want to say two things. First of all, I actually am a little proud of this film. Uh, I actually think it's pretty. I actually think it's pretty good considering how little experience we have. And watching it, I kind of wish that I'd gotten more into documentary film. I like. I, I think wow. it's. I think it's not bad. Um, okay. It, I mean, I, I, I don't want to shit on this. No, but I also <laughs> let me be clear. I, I also want to say I think it accomplishes two things. Right. One, I think. It's it's a it's a, a time and place story about Cape Breton viewed through the lens of this clown um, and the people with whom he interacts. Uh, and the second thing I think it does, stripped of all the the, the socioeconomic uh, uh, meaning or the, the the crimes he he pled guilty to later on, um, I think it's it's a psychological portrait of a very extroverted guy who craves validation from others and who is by himself uh, lonely. I mean, I don't think there's any dispute. Like he, he has he, one of the first scenes is this. Uh, he spends like five minutes talking about his dog. And the dog has been the most constant thing in my life for 13 years. Gas prices changed. Uh, relationship status changed. What's never changed is the fact that the dog's always been there. One day I was doing a show at a elementary school. I did two shows, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And a lady came in and she was really sad. And, I said, what's going on? Why so glum, chum? She says, we had to put our dog down today. The dog, the kids don't know. When they get home from school, we're going to have to explain all this. Now it's so many years later, and my dog's 13 years old, and just had an episode about a week ago. I know that, that, what that lady felt now. Uh, after bringing her to the vet, and the vet held her head, and the little eye was still moving. And she said, oh, your dog's 13. He said, Clutzy, that's 82 years old. And I was like, oh, you're kidding me. This is the first sign that my buddy's not going to be here forever. So it was a reality check. It was it was hard to be happy that weekend. I mean, we know he lives alone in this big house he bought with his lottery winnings, which were only $100,000. But I mean, you know, he, he clearly, I believe he did like purchase this house. He, he bought like a pool with it. He he says he has two ATVs, two other, you know, two, uh, he builds all his own cars. Like, like he has all this kind of stuff that he's filling his house with. But you can quite clearly see that that he's a lonely guy. And I think that there's an interesting psychological profile of that and and you can read into that uh uh you know the the allegations the crimes later on into that loneliness i think that i think that's perfectly valid i don't know enough about about that stuff to make that connection but <laughs> yeah i think that's what i would want to say is that like i think it's true that this was this this does reflect a person who was very lonely and i think that that was certainly my experience as a person who you know the fact that he did latch on to Freeman and I as friends, and he called us this constantly, you know, we spent one weekend with him. We, you know, we had a kind of affection for him, but we were not his friends. You know, we were there as documentary makers. We were not 
we, we didn't see each other after that, other than that screening. Um, and so we definitely felt that sense of loneliness. But I, I again, I, I think that that overall, uh, the psychological stuff, it just makes me it, it, it makes me nervous to uh, uh, to sort of connect his loneliness to what he wound up. Yeah. And, and he, he, did, yeah. he did like the documentary. And I think he probably yeah. opened up to us in a way that he didn't he hadn't opened up to maybe other people or he could talk about stuff so i mean yeah he did call us friends he like has a very immediate intimacy mm -hmm. with people with everybody but but more so i guess with us yeah. i, I want to ask about the, the lottery winnings because i've heard so many different versions of how much he won and in what happened what what do you know about his his lottery win this this money he came in did you recall the story that that you got about it yeah i mean it's an I mean, the story that I know is the story that's in the documentary. It's in like the first 10 minutes or something, right? He was doing scratch tickets. He had some leftover cash at a convenience store or something. And then he says he won hundred grand. It's not like, you know, I remember thinking when we heard about the clone and won the lottery, it was gonna be, you know, a million bucks or something. We found out it was a hundred thousand. I remember that really deflated that narrative a bit, which is partly why we skewed it to start thinking about, you know, well, what else does this clown do? He's still an interesting guy. So maybe the fact that he only won a hundred grand doesn't defeat the purpose of going to do the documentary. Um, yeah, I, I mean, he tells he tells the story of, uh, you know, he calls his wife at the time and uh, um, she doesn't believe him and he goes over and to her, to her place of work, he shows her the ticket and he's really nervous. He still has to go do a bunch of gigs and he just wants to kind of keep on keep on clowning and, and doing, doing what he loves. I, I don't remember. I, if there's anything beyond that, mm -hmm. I don't know. I think you summed up how, how it was told in the documentary. What surprises me is where this was a documentary you made with Dale or Klutzy as the focus of it, these the, the crimes that he's um, convicted of, it doesn't seem like either of you have really followed it closely. Do you do you even know like what had happened? Well, you know, we... we I, we followed the reportage, okay. I think, but we did not follow it closely. We did not pursue it. It's, it's something that we the two of us had been have have you know we're still friends and we've talked about pursuing this uh this line again but uh you know we live in toronto we have other jobs and and, and just sort of we haven't uh, followed closely any um any thought of you continuing the story in any way or for the most part are you both done with dale klutzy rancourt adrian what do you say buddy you want to you want to pick up the I, old I, camera and laugh, yeah. Mike. I, I think that um, head back to Cape Breton. You know, not going to rule it out. I, I think uh, it's to some degree like the documentary we did do would serve well the footage or, or would serve well in a in a in a future project because it all it really does show this person. I guess my only my my worry is like, but for what end, right? I mean, this is this is a person who um, has gone to jail he has done his time um and like to some like you know when we did when we did the documentary it was wow isn't this novel and interesting and weird this clown who won the lottery but it would feel it would feel kind of i i would have to i would have to think about it as a sort of as sort of a moral and ethical question like do i want to go make something out of this person who has gone through a lot and done a lot that is complicated. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I will add that uh, not just is it a portrait of a, of a, main, a maybe a lonely man, but um, I think it is a man who very clearly feels more comfortable with younger people than older people. 
Um, he has, he does have relationships with older people, but I think uh, if, if there's any way that, you know, you asked before, are we reflecting back on it in a different way? If there's any kind of answer to that, it might be, well, I guess he was always more comfortable with people who were half his age or, or younger, like, um, and, and, and I don't think it's automatically sexual. I think you can just be more comfortable with people, but it also at some point after a number of failed relationships with people his own age became sexual. Maybe it was a, I don't know, a, a, a pure psychological speculation here. You know, maybe they were just like easier, like less complicated or, or less, I don't know, for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, I don't think we, I don't think we should speculate on All right. that. Yeah, I, I I get you though, but we'll we'll wrap this up unless there's any other memories you have of filming big shoes or anything else you want to add to this. I mean, it's just like like honestly, hearing about what happened is is like quite an emotional thing, you know, and and it and it's and it's tough because again, we were so young and we did not, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing and we really didn't know this person that well, and to to know that this kind of stuff happened you you kind of feel bad too you know we we as storytellers went there to tell his story and his story continued this is this is just true of all journalism and all work that we do you know you sort of leave somebody behind um and and it's emotional to hear about the kinds of things that have happened since obviously not good but but you know it's just it is just this kind of this feeling of we left we left him behind and now I'm not sorry. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's a it's 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 a crazy thing, you know. It was just this. It was this project that we we embarked on almost as a hobby, and it became, uh, you know, the person at the center of it is, you know, it turned out had an extremely dark past, uh, or sorry, not a past, extremely yeah, extremely dark future, you know, things about him. I think that's hard to grapple with, both in terms of what we miss, but also what we miss by not continuing to tell the story that that we left out. I want to thank you for joining Adrian, Michael, and I for our discussion surrounding Dale, Klutzy the Clown, Rancourt. After releasing two episodes about Klutzy, I hope by now you have a fairly clear picture of this story. But if I'm being honest, it's about to get a lot more complicated and much more troubling. In my next episode, which will be released in the coming days, we'll hear from someone who is now speaking for the first time publicly about their story. And I'll tell you, her account of what happened is a lot worse than the version he confessed to in court. I would really like to inform you of what really happened regarding the Dale in court, also known as Clutchy the Clown situation and the victim in that situation which is also known as me. I was 14 years old. I was a... And with that, I'll wrap up this episode of Nighttime, but before we part, I have some thanks. First, a big thank you to Michael and Adrian for sharing an evening with me and with the listeners of Nighttime. Next, a big shout-out to Monty Data for contributing the music to this episode. It's a piece called Noir Tokyo. And lastly, a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, please subscribe to the premium feed. For about the price of a cup of coffee, you can keep the show alive at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. 
And with that said, let me thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. Jill and Sheila, thank you for your support. And for anyone else out there who'd like to support the show, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing the episodes on social media and letting like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas or if you want to give feedback on the show, reach me at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact or find me on social media. I use Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, I'm often live on the Nighttime YouTube channel. So until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and stay the hell away from clowns. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright. Jordan Bonaparte.